This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Brendan, the pod pinhead, and this is commentary for pages 339 to 350 here on a lovely summer evening in San Diego. You'll notice that I posted a page on Friday. That means that, yes, I am indeed back to the two pages per week schedule. Uh, I'm planning to do three per week during July and August, but don't hold me to that because I might not be able to do three every single week. On with the commentary. Page 339, Chapter 7, Martyr. So this is another chapter intro, much like the intro to Chapter 6, that I decided that I wanted to do in more of a traditional comic book cover style. Not so much a comic book cover style, but a more formal chapter introduction style instead of just an establishing shot. And in this case, I really wanted to kind of build the entire thing out of textures, so I went and found as many textures as I possibly could. Most of these are just stock ones that come with Photoshop, kind of combined and layered repeatedly. It didn't work out quite as well as I wanted. I mean, I wanted the characters to look a little bit more flat, and almost like paper cutouts or something. So that didn't quite work out so well. That being said, it didn't turn out as awful as it could have. And so hopefully you should be able to figure out what exactly this is talking about and referring to on this particular page. Also a little bit inspired by Elfin Lead, too. In the intro to that anime series, they actually have some interesting sort of gold leaf kind of applied to static imagery, and the way the light plays across it is kind of interesting. Of course, that's totally not going to work here because it's just a static JPEG and not animated. But uh, I still tried to go for that, particularly in the sort of gold, yellowish-looking stuff around the outer borders of this page. Page 340, the cheap seats. So here Mika is busily killing all the people, and as I mentioned in the last podcast, I believe, I wasn't going to go through the entire group of 200 people because that would just take absolutely forever. So you really sort of get to just see the bits and pieces hinting at Mika killing all these guys, but you don't actually get to watch the whole thing because it would just be incredibly tedious. And if you look closely, you can identify some of the organs that she's ripping out. I think there's a liver in there in that first panel. And of course, up on the cliff, there's Sydney sitting there. So all of you people who thought you saw her sitting up there back when Mika was first having the confrontation with the Durad, there you go, you were right. And Sydney smiles down happily as someone else comes up behind her. And this is Alan, of course, you won't get his name until a couple of pages from now. Sydney is not really particularly phased by this whole massacre that's going on, although he is, as will be seen in a couple of pages. Sydney's just, you know, having popcorn and watching, basically. And no, it's not actually popcorn that she's having. It's probably chips or something. And for those who've been paying attention, Alan is the same guy who picked up Sydney around page 200 when she had her first fight with Mika, and also was standing outside the store that Mika and Sydney had the little confrontation in, in near Mara. Sydney, of course, is wearing the standard sort of Durad jacket, which kind of thematically ties her to some of the other people. And so she's got similar sort of dress to the Durad commanders and stuff that Mika had her confrontation with earlier. Same colors, same sort of layout on the coat and everything. Page 341. And so one thing that I really like on this page is the little story that gets told in the sound effects that are going on just to the left-hand side of the first panel. So you can see that first Mika clashes sword with the guy and staggers him, and he goes, oof. And then she slashes him, and he goes, ah. And then she slashes him again, and he goes, no, please. And then she kills him. And it's funny how you can sort of see this whole little story told out in just a few sound effects. Sydney watching and smiling, and Alan watching, obviously a little bit disturbed by the whole thing. And so he says that he didn't think that Sydney was going to keep watching this, so she's been watching this for a while. And, you know, besides, like she said, she didn't really have anything else planned tonight, and what are you going to do? You can't watch TV, you can't call your friends or something, so I guess you watch a massacre. Like the title of the strip says, they aren't really hired for their brains. Alan says that some of the guys are asking permission to go down and fight. I think probably they knew that she wouldn't let them go down and fight anyways, but they still sort of feel obligated to help out. Probably some of their buddies are down there getting killed right now, so... 
they feel like you know it's their duty as as people in the Durad to go fight. Sydney, of course, would rather have them alive because they're not all that useful to her if they're just completely dead and in pieces on the ground. You never really get to see the group of people in Sydney's traveling with it, but she has at least a couple dozen people that she's probably traveling with who she can send off to do things. Like the mages, when she first had the fight with Mika in the restaurant, those guys were some of the people that would be along with her. But you don't ever get to really see them because they're all sort of just cannon fodder if they ever show up. And so, and even in Sydney's dialogue, you can see she doesn't really care about them too much other than just how they can be useful to her. She just says she doesn't like having to order replacements. She doesn't really care whether they live or die, and she'd probably kill them herself if it suited her needs. But, you know, ordering replacements is tedious. You probably got to fill out paperwork, and it takes time to get the order filled. So Sydney doesn't want to do that. Page 342. So here's a little bit more exposition on Sydney and her connection to the Durad, or lack thereof. Alan's obviously kind of upset about the whole situation where you know, his buddies and his comrades are out there getting killed, but Sydney doesn't really consider them to be her comrades. It's just sort of, they're her co-workers at best, and so you know it doesn't really matter to her whether they live or die. She doesn't, like she says, she doesn't even know most of them, and even the ones that she knows, she probably doesn't give a crap about one way or the other. Alan is not thrilled with this, but of course isn't really going to say anything because he knows that objecting to that opinion would not be a winner with Sydney. And when he does say at the very end of the page, if only she had died in near Mara, Sydney doesn't really respond one way or the other. She doesn't say, yes, it would have been nice if she had died, or, you know, no, I really would rather she have lived so that I could get to watch this. She just kind of acknowledges that he said something and that she probably understood it. Page 343. So Alan's seen enough. He didn't last very long. And he's going to go back to camp, and Sydney's going to stay here and watch, see the rest. Of course, she's going to go back down and meet Mika later on, so that's one of the reasons she doesn't go down to camp. She wants to watch the whole thing play out, see what happens. She probably knows that Mika is going to win, but just wants to actually see it happen. And then she's going to go down and toy with Mika. And in this page, you finally get to see a little bit of what Mika's been doing. And if you look closely, you can see the carnage that's been inflicted on the people. They're split in half. There's one guy right next to Sydney's knee who's been split completely in half down the center and other people have had all their limbs severed off and splayed all over the place. And so now here's the first page where we actually get to see Alan's name. And Alan doesn't have a character page yet, and I probably won't do one for him since he's not that important, at least not for a long time. So Alan takes off, and Sydney sort of looks back with a little bit of a bizarre Mona Lisa-like smile on her face. It kind of looks like she's smiling, but not completely. And that was the goal. I wanted it to be sort of ambiguous about what Sydney's feeling there, that there is something that she likes, what she sees, but there's also not sheer joy in her face either. Page 344, so now we cut back to Tresca in her house, still sort of upset about the whole thing, and you get to see a little bit more of that in the next page in particular. I very much like the background on the first panel. First, when I say background, I mean the house and the curtains and the window and everything. For some reason, it's fairly simple actual background, but it just ended up looking pretty good as far as the lighting and everything goes. I think also the contrast to the little sliver of seeing Tresca inside where you've got that light compared to everything that's going on outside where it's almost all kind of the same purplish bluish color. It ended up looking very good and, and I'm sort of happy with that. So Tresca's still trying to deal with this thing. She's read Mika's letter and processed it and is still not sure what to make of it. And she's almost trying to find something to do. I mean, she obviously couldn't sleep right now because she's just too upset about the whole situation. So she's trying to make some sense and figure out how to sort of deal with what's going on. And so now she's worried about the Durad. And so she's trying to figure out why they're not in town yet and... Evan said they were going to be in town yet, although he didn't actually say that they were going to be in town by now. He said 
tomorrow evening or the day after. So, I mean, it could have been that the Dread would have actually arrived, you know, the day after this. But Tresca's taking the earlier choice just because it gives her something to worry about and focus on here. So she's kind of pacing back and forth. First she looks through the window that's behind the couch, and then she looks through the window that's outside the, over the sink, page 345. So here she's kind of rationalizing the whole thing, and she really wants to go out and see if she can find Mika and see what's going on. She probably knows that Mika was serious when she wrote the letter, but doesn't really want to believe it, so she's going to try to come up with some rationalization. Well, maybe Mika isn't really going out and fighting the dread. Maybe she's just out in town somewhere, as she says here in the strip. And so she's trying to come up with some rationalization so that she can go out and, and look for something and at least try to feel like she's doing something rather than sitting sort of helplessly in her home. And so she does this sort of thing, and actually I do this from time to time too, where she gets dressed and she thinks she's about to go out and then isn't quite sure, and then eventually she does decide she's going to go out. But she gets dressed before she's even really fully made up her mind. And for the first time in the last you know, 24, 48 hours or so of her life, she actually kind of takes proactive action again because, you know, for the last day or so, she's been sort of just watching the entire world go by passively, which is a pretty big change for her in her character. And so now she's finally taking action again. And so off she goes, paying absolutely no heed to Evan's advice. Page 346, Aftermath. So now we get to see a little bit more detail on the massacre that happened. This page was kind of a pain in the ass, even though there's not actually all that much going on in a sense. I mean, I don't have lots of close-ups of faces or something, which always take a long time to do. But having to do all the carnage and everything, and the blood is just such a big pain in the ass. And I don't know, if I were going to do another comic, I wouldn't do one with as much blood, just because doing it is so difficult. And, you know, and, and even still, I'm not super happy with the way that it ended up looking. And, you know, and this is fun. You get to see all the kind of different stuff that she's done, where she's lopped off people's heads and severed all the fingers off of one guy's hand and flayed out a guy's ribcage entirely so you can see his lungs hanging out there and severed several people in half. There's a dude down to the lower right of where Mika is standing. She actually cut his head in half, and so you can see his kind of brain spilled out a little bit. Very gruesome stuff. Uh, and that's what she's been doing for the last few hours is cutting up all these people, and now they're all dead. And you can see her sword covered with blood, and, and it's nicked up. Someone mentioned on the forums that it should have been nicked up, and it actually is if you look closely. If you look at the edge, you can see that the edge isn't really perfectly straight. It's got some dings in it, and there's also dings in the sword itself, on the on the surface of the sword. But it's kind of hard to see because the blood ended up covering up most of that, so it doesn't look as banged up as it did if I were to take off the blood layers. And then Mika in the final panel with blood all over her, too. Again, kind of walking that fine line as I was doing in the fight in Chapter 5, where Mika was covered with blood, and, you know, if you go too far, then it just becomes completely impossible to see anything on her face or on her body entirely. You know, and, and that's, you know, I would as much as I would like to have Mika disappear entirely behind the blood and sort of just be this faceless, amorphous monster thing covered in blood, you know, at the same time, I did spend a lot of time making sure that the expressions were right, and so I didn't want to cover those up completely. And also, it would just be sort of strange to have this giant red thing sort of walking around. Next page. So here's Mika shuffling along the snow. Some people thought that this meant that she was wounded. She was just sort of lurching along slowly because she's so low on energy at this point, having killed 200 people, that she's just trudging through the snow very slowly. And so she shuffles one foot forward and then lands on it, and then shuffles the next foot forward and lands on it, and is dripping blood along in the snow as she goes. Sees Ennio. Ennio, of course, none too thrilled at this. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, I was thinking of having Ennio in the restaurant, you know, looking at Mika, kind of apprehensive about what was going to happen. And, and of course, then this would be sort of the opposite 
bookend to that where now Ennio has seen what has happened. He knew what was going to happen if he had been in that scene. But now that he's seen what has happened and that, that she actually did go through with it, he's not too thrilled. But at any rate, people did seem to get the idea that he wasn't too thrilled with what she did anyway. And I think Ennio actually looks a little bit better now in this page than he's looked in some of the previous pages. And an interesting sort of exchange of glances between Ennio and Mika. Ennio looks, of course, very angry at Mika, and Mika just sort of looks up indifferently at him. And reading Mika's expressions is kind of difficult because, of course, of all the blood. And finally, after Mika has moved on, Ennio takes a look at the battlefield and is upset about the whole situation. Page 348, girls just want to have fun. So there's Sydney. She's seen the whole battle, as I said, and here's Mika lurching along the way towards near Tendra. Sydney sees her and puts on her happy girly face again, which is the same as when she was taunting Mika in chapter 6 when she was killing her. It's the same sort of thing where she's really acting happier than she really is. I mean, not that she didn't enjoy watching the whole thing go down and isn't enjoying watching what's happening with Mika, but the whole super happy with the ginky eyes and everything is kind of an act for her. And Mika walks up and she thinks that Sydney's going to kill her. Although Sydney isn't really interested in killing her because, you know, what would be the fun in that? And Mika obviously can't fight back at all, and so that would be kind of... It wouldn't be very satisfying to kill Mika if she was absolutely incapable of fighting back. So Sydney will wait until Mika's a little bit more fun to play with. You know, if the rat just lays there, the cat isn't going to kill it. Page 349, the abyss gaze is also into you. This was a title that I was reluctant to use because I, I believe it's a saying that's so incredibly overused to begin with that I wasn't really sure that I wanted to indulge in making it the situation even worse. But, you know, and of course, for those who don't know, this is a quote from Nietzsche who has, he says something like, he who fights monsters should be careful that he himself does not become a monster, for when you gaze over long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. In other words, if you fight evil, you might yourself become evil. And this quote is, of course, so incredibly overused that I was reluctant to use it, but it, I felt that, you know, if anyone earned the right to use it, I think that I did, especially since I've got sort of a literal interpretation of the of the saying, as well as the sort of metaphorical application to what's going on in the scene, but also you do sort of literally have the abyss gazing into Mika in this particular case. And so Sydney takes a nice good long look. Mika's expression in the third panel in the middle of the page didn't work out too well because she looks sort of upset a little bit, sort of unhappy, and if I were to take off all the blood you'd see that she's actually just sort of annoyed. She's not, her, it's particularly in her eyebrows, it, it's not conveyed as well as it could be. And so Sydney sort of provides the whole payoff for the I think I see a monster thing, which showed up earlier on in chapter 5 when Mika had killed the bandits and Tresca looked into Mika's face and saw pretty much the same thing, although didn't give voice to it, it was just in the title that I used that line. And finally, page 350, Mirror, Mirror. And this was an interesting little line where Mika actually takes a little bit of time to think she, you know, and this was obviously a little bit longer than it actually looks in the strip. In this case, you only get to see one panel of Mika sitting there staring silently. But it was probably a good you know, 10-20 seconds of her sitting there trying to think, because at this point her brain's more or less shut down because she's so tired. So she says something and tries to sort of deflect what Sydney says, but Sydney turns it right back around and throws it right back in Mika's face, saying that, well, you know, actually, Mika, you're completely right with what you said about it being your reflection. It's just not in the way that you think. When Sydney pulls her hand away in panel four, it's kind of nice little streams of blood that are connected to Mika's chin if you look closely. I can see it better on my iBook right now because of the 
brightness being kind of brighter than a CRT monitor, and maybe you can see it too, but if you look closely, it's there. So Sydney suggests that maybe someone will have better luck next time, and then Mika assumes that Sydney's talking about her and says, I doubt it, and Mika says, oh no, I wasn't talking about you. Who was Sydney talking about? Well, wait and see. So I've pretty much run out of pages to do commentary on. It's page 350 that I just finished talking about, and it's page 352 that I just posted on Friday. So I'm going to slow down a little bit on the podcast. I don't really have a whole lot else to talk about. I will probably do, of course, another podcast whenever I have another scene to discuss. And if I have some particular game that I want to review or something, I'll talk about those. If I might try to line up some interviews and see if I can do something like that. I don't really have a whole lot to to discuss as far as interviews go. I mean, I might try to get at least one person that I know and try to get on the show. But besides that, I don't think that A, a lot of people would want to come on the Falcon Twin podcast to be interviewed, and B, I'm not really all that interested in interviewing people who do comics because, as I've said in the past, I'm not really a comics person. And I'd rather leave that to the pros, guys like the Alpha Shade guys, since they seem to be doing a lot of good interviews recently. So if you do have anything you'd like me to talk about, send me an email, let me know. Link's on the homepage. And if it's something worth talking about, then I'll do a podcast and talk about it. Otherwise, like I said, I'm going to throttle back on the podcast a little bit, maybe one every few weeks, whenever I feel like discussing something in particular. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot to talk about since I'm going to be busy all summer with Falcon Twin and video games and podcasts, then that's not really enough to, to do a show, and I don't really feel like doing a video game and or podcast show exclusively, so I'm not going to you know just talk about video games every week. And while I'm here, I want to plug another podcast I've been listening to that is really good. It's called The Nightcast, and you can find that at nightwise.com, spelled with a K, K-N-I-G-H-T-W-I-S-E dot com. And Nightwise is actually really interesting. As far as I've heard, he actually learned English exclusively from listening to podcasts. Now, I haven't confirmed this with him, whether or not it's actually true. But at any rate, he just got accepted into the Tech Podcast Network recently. And he's got a really fun show where he talks about technology and various different things. He talked about his MacBook in the previous episode, and he's talked about online services. You might remember that I did a post about Gmail and Bloglines and Spurl, all those kind of websites. Well, he did a podcast where he discusses those as well as a whole bunch of other ones, and that one's a really good show. So you should definitely check it out because he doesn't have nearly as many listeners as I think he should because his podcast is pretty great. Although I do wish that he would stop playing big, long music songs right in the middle of it because that's one of my pet peeves about podcasts. That's it for this show. If you have questions or comments, or like I said, suggestions for what you'd like to hear me talk about on the podcast, you can email them to me via the link on the homepage. You can leave me an audio comment with the send me an audio button on the podcast page, or you can post something on the forums. Some of the music provided tonight was from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. So there.